I'm Charlie Hipwood, CEO of Mass Ventures. And I'm Stacy Swider, an investor at Mass Ventures. And we welcome you to the Fundable Founder, where we'll be exploring relevant topics for technology entrepreneurs to help them succeed in raising capital and in growing their businesses. As a founder who started and ran three companies, I didn't know what I didn't know when I first set out. <laughs> but you eventually figured things out, right? For the most part, through trial and error and mentorship. But now as a VC, I'm frequently advising entrepreneurs on the same topics. So Stacy and I are here to share that earned wisdom with you, along with the experts that we interview on a variety of subjects. We are. The roadmap to a successful startup is at your fingertips. So turn up the volume and grab the keys to success for your fundable founder journey. Hi, this is Stacy from Mass Ventures. We're doing part three of our series on IP protection. And part three is about um, what do you do when you think someone is copying or stealing your patented idea? I'm here today with two lawyers from Hamilton Brook, Smith Reynolds, Larry Cogswell, and James Coe. Larry, can you introduce yourself briefly? Hey, thanks, Stacey. Uh, Larry Cogswell, I'm a uh, principal and shareholder with Hamilton Brook, Smith Reynolds. I am a uh, litigator by uh, training. Um, I also uh, do uh, IPRs, post-grant uh, proceedings. And in a prior life, I was a PhD biophysicist and chemist. So uh, I, Love to litigate, love to give uh, folks advice on litigation. And uh, it's great to be here with you and, uh, and my colleague, James. Awesome, that's awesome. And James? So my name is James Coe. I am an IP attorney here at Hamlet Brooks Smith Reynolds. Uh, my focus is really on um, helping clients obtain patent rights. Although uh, I do tend to field um, questions about uh, potential infringement assertions. Uh, I spent roughly 10 years in-house managing patent portfolios as well as patent litigations. So happy to be here. Infringement insertions. I like that. I like the way you talk. So I guess the first step is if you think someone's copying our idea is you got to get a hold of it and sort of prove it. So um, you know, I, I think I mentioned you before, we get kind of these calls or emails all the time from clients saying someone's infringing my idea or someone's stolen my idea. You know, what can we do? So the first step we do is kind of really assess the claim, figure out um, you know, really what do you know about the competitor's activity? You know, what, what do you think is being copied? Um, you know, and then part of it's really doing the full assessment. You know, what IP do you have as a, as a company? Do you have patents? Um, if you do have patents, what are you actually claiming in your patents? Because the, the claims of the patents are kind of the meets and bounds of your protection and, and what you're entitled to exclude others from doing. Um, are, there patent, are there trade secrets or trademarks and copyrights involved? You know, there's a whole slew of things you can kind of look at with your competitor's activity and figure out whether or not um, you know, you have a claim, you know, the quality of the claim. But in addition to that, you want to kind of assess who you're suing. You know, what does their patent portfolio look like? Can they potentially sue you back? So oh, you know, who are you up against? Right. Yeah. Mm. So, I mean, those are some of the things we kind of look at initially um, when we get these these kind of inquiries about uh, competitors or, you know, companies copying. The whole, whole landscape of the, inf of the potential or a perceived infringement. Right. So I, I, those are kind of things I would look at. Um, what are some proactive steps that people can take prior to any infringement? Like what, what are ways to do's and don'ts? <laughs> well, I, I think the, uh, you know, the, fir the first thing is you want to, you want to think about infringement 
from the very beginning of the process when you're getting when you're getting your patents, right? Because you know, in a sense, I tell people, right? If someone's if someone's infringing your product, congratulations, infringing your patent, right? Because that that means it's valuable, right? You know, you've come up with something and people are infringing it. So you know, the question the question is, you know, what do you what do you do at that point? Well, you know. Hopefully, you've prosecuted the the patent strategically with an eye toward uh, you know maximizing a benefit of the patent and minimizing enforcement burden. So, so well, just to give a couple of examples, yeah. when you when you prosecute when you prosecute a patent, you want to be aware. And you know those those of us that have been doing it for a long time, particularly uh, you know working closely together like we do in our firm, you know our prosecution attorneys they have an eye toward how things are litigated. They're going to make sure that the claims are are written if they can be in a way that simplifies uh, whom you can sue because there are there are, there are rules about uh, you know who you can sue as an infringer not just in terms of jurisdiction but you know do you have a single entity that's uh, uh, for a method patent either practicing all the claim steps or if it's a uh, product or a system are they actually uh, you know making or using something that has all of the ingredients um, if the claims are written, for example, so that it uh, it requires you know multiple actors, right? That's more complicated to enforce. So so those are those are things, Stacey, that at the very beginning, you know, you look at. You also look to see, okay, what's what's the real what's the real value, right? Your startup, you have limited resources. Okay, what what are you gonna what what are you gonna patent and why? You know, you're gonna patent something that you're gonna be willing to, you know, willing to actually uh, you know invest the money in enforcing and licensing. Um, uh, another another great question is, you know, we have clients that come to me and they say, okay, you know, uh, you know, I think James, you know, I, you, you and I have had a few experiences like this. Um, a client says, I think someone's infringing, um, but I'm not sure. You know, they're doing, you know, three out of five of the steps, but I don't know how they're doing the other. And, you know, sometimes we'll look at, you know, we'll look at a patent and, you know, typically it's, you know, you know, it's a patent that they're coming to us with. You know, we, we're not familiar with the prosecution history. So we, you know, see how it's prosecuted, try to figure out as much as we can. And there's a gap in our knowledge. And there's a gap in our knowledge because we simply don't have a way of knowing what the other side is doing with the secret sauce. And mm, that sounds really tricky. It, it, it is. And, and there are ways around it. But, you know, so, so I think the really, you know, the first step is right from the beginning of the process when you're a startup, you know, find yourself a good IP lawyer, have some real honest, open conversations about what you want to achieve. And, you know, the best, the best, you know, way for any attorney, including IP attorneys to do their job and service to your business is to understand what your goals are. So, you know, when it when it gets to the point that a client's saying, "Hey, I think we have an infringement," um, you know, as James was saying, we 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 need to establish that. And oftentimes, you know, oftentimes, and I wouldn't expect a client necessarily to know this because, you know, that's what we do. That's you know, this this is you know, they're in business. We look at it from the perspective of a lawyer and say, "Okay, you know, here in the claim, there are five elements." Before we could even consider suing anybody. We need to make sure that there's actual infringement, that each and every one of those elements is satisfied. Well, have you ever seen any really egregious cases, though, or just a total ripoff? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it happens. It happens all the time. There it are does? a lot of total ripoffs. Yes. Yeah. And, um, you know, and it really, you know, it really depends then strategically. Well, what do you what do you do about it? Right. right. I mean, it, that's expensive to pursue. And it time consuming and yeah. It's very expensive. And I always tell my clients, the last thing that I really want to do as a litigator is to sue somebody for them. Because litigation is expensive. And if there are other ways of resolving the problem, let's consider those first. Yeah, right. We all, um, we all followed the CRISPR saga. <laughs> we all, we all followed, we all followed that. And 
Um, you know, particularly if you're if you're a smaller company, it can be daunting because right? you're potentially suing somebody with much, uh, you know, much greater resources than you. And it's a well-known tactic in litigation to just grind the smaller person or a smaller company into the ground with expense. Oh, for sure. They'll come after you and say, you're infringing on our patents. That's when it's good to have some patents to sort of trade them. No, but you're infringing on ours, right? Yeah, exactly. Point a little bit to trade secrets. And trade secrets are advantage because you're not publishing anything about what you're doing. But you can't trade those either. You can't say, hey, you're infringing on my trade secret. There's no... Well, you can, but there are obstacles and difficulties in um, suing someone for trade secret misappropriation as well. Mm. It's a different kind of claim. Um, Certainly trade secrets are valuable and they have their place kind of when you're developing your um, IP portfolio. But again, there's a bunch of considerations too in making sure you're keeping your trade secret secret. Mm. And that's that's a big... uh... You know, that, that's one of the very early things that we discuss with startup clients, you know, and putting, putting things into, into buckets, you know, making sure that they, um, that they are set up with IP and, you know, we, we, we have people that uh, we know and are good and we work with to, you know, help uh, startups, um, you know, get going with other legal needs and specifically for the IP portion, you know, you need to think about buckets, you know, do you have your, do you have your trademarks in place? What's your patent strategy and the whole patent trade secret dichotomy, right? You know, I, I typically explain it to, you know, the, the clients uh, like this, you know, you know, patents have a limited term, right? So what's the deal? You disclose something, it's published, it's out there. And in exchange for your providing information to the public, the government guarantees you a, uh, a monopoly for, uh, approximately 20 years from the from the priority date. Yeah, and we discussed um, before it becomes a whole product in itself. It does. Yeah. And you know, the question is, are you satisfied with 20 years or would you rather have forever? And most people would rather have forever, and that's a trade secret, right? Coca-Cola, most famously, right. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. With, with, and James is smiling. James is smiling because he's 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 heard me say this. And the big caveat is well, what if someone what if someone finds out legitimately? Then not all, then that's that's perfectly legal. Someone hasn't stolen your trade secret and misappropriated it, acquired it through improper means, but independently developed it. You know, and so yeah. that's the situation where you're concerned about someone else legitimately coming up with your idea. That tends to be a patent situation mm-hmm. where you have something that you're fairly convinced you can hold on to forever. No one's ever going to figure it out. A or B, something that if you were to disclose others could use without your being able to know that they were using it, right? That tends to be a trade secret situation. And we litigate, you know, we litigate, you know, both, you know, patent and trade secret cases, you know, and um, they, they each have, uh, they, they each have their unique uh, challenges and twists and turns. And, you know, I could, I could tell a lot of stories, but we'll, I, we'll, we'll try to keep it uh, somewhat, somewhat short. Stories are great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think for startups in particular, yeah. trade secrets can be a little tough because processes aren't necessarily in place in startups. There's a lot of growth. So you have people coming in and out. It's the people. It's the people yeah. in and out that's really tricky with trade secrets. And, and going to conferences, you talk to people, right. it, knowing you have to, yeah, it's a tough one. Trade secrets and you want to share everything as a, as, a, as a startup, right? You're excited about what you're doing. Yeah. So sometimes information flows a little too freely. Yeah. Uh, and that's one of the difficulties with trade secret. You've got to keep the secret sauce secret. 
Yeah, I relied on them in the past, but it's only because it, it, I could teach you what we were doing and it'd be hard to duplicate. So I was like, <laughs> like, I don't know how to explain it. It was a really difficult chemical process. And all these little details about the temperature and the timing and everything were just very odd. So yeah, that's a perfect, yeah. that's a perfect example of it's something. A perfect to, example. Uh, it was like yeah. it was like yeah. even if you could I could mail you the directions and you could build your own lab and try to copy it. And I'd be like, good luck. Yeah. Yep. It's and it's and it's great. You, you know, you take you take the value of that IP. And, and the best the best case scenario is because you know, a, a lot of uh what what I do in addition to litigation is um advising clients on uh on ip strategy and um you know including diligence counseling and the like and, you know you're trying to you're trying to grow value you know one of the what one of the things you can do is you can patent some things and then you have you know trade secrets that you maintain and you know i, I know uh you know a lot of startups are always thinking about um well how, you know money or what's the exit strategy are they going to uh are they going to capitalize on their investment in many things including ip you know, and I'll and I'll tell you, you know, from a licensing perspective, if you decide to go, you know, the, the route of licensing or sale, um, you know, you command a premium if you're going to license or sell your patent assets in conjunction with trade secrets, because the trade secrets and the know-how are tremendously valuable. And you know, to bring it to bring it back to, well, what do you do if someone's infringing? You know, uh, well, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes the answer is, well, consider, you know, consider, uh, if, particularly if it's not a core product of yours, consider selling it. Maybe someone else, you know, that has a lot more resources would be willing to take that on. And there's there can be advantages to that. Oh, that's a great idea. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great idea. Any other do's and don'ts or train wrecks you guys have seen seen? Like don'ts, don't do this. <laughs> well, don't I, delay. Yeah. Don't I, delay. I, really? Don't well, delay. I mean, don't delay kind of keeping tabs on on, on your competitors. Um, I think some of the train wrecks happen before you even know what the competitor is doing. When you've kind of not protected your IP properly, you haven't filed on uh, important um, inventions, um, or you've made communications within your company about you know, what you're doing and kind of you know, said bad things about your patent sometimes, or um, you know, made comments inappropriately in your communications with others that may be used against you in litigation. Wait, so, don't say bad things about your own patents? Well, I mean, sometimes... Uh, seen an inventor say, oh, this is actually a very obvious invention to their own invention. Uh, yeah. you know, that's not a great communication to have. If and, you're and you feel that way as an inventor. To you, it's like so obvious sometimes. You're like, this is dumb. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> it's, just you know, weird. it's a, a different kind of um, assessment when you're looking at it as um, a legal assessment with, with sure. obvious patent laws. So I think you want to make sure that people involved in your process are keeping clean communications. Uh, are just mindful of what they're saying and that what they do put into writing may show up in litigation. Yep. So what you're saying is like a small company has hope of success on an infringement if they catch it early, if they have a good internal process about IP, which is that like their people are trained and know how to handle it, like loose lips sink ships, don't say anything negative, do not disclose your ideas at a public conference before we've had a decision about whether to patent it or not. Um, all, all of these things play into it. And if you play your cards and you have cards to trade, so you have some patents, and if it's not some, you know, a thousand pound, you know, elephant in the room that can squash you, um, that there's a chance that you can, you can, I also found personal experience observation is that it really, this sounds like a plug for you guys, but it, it's, it's very helpful to have a good law firm behind you because the paperwork comes on that law, legal letterhead. Their lawyers look at, 
their lawyers that go, well, these, these folks are real. This is going to be a dogfight. And they start to back off. It's, it's, it's true, you know, in, in, in litigation, um, you know, you need to, I, I say, if we're going to, if we're going to sue, we're, we're going to fight to win. We need to make sure that the other side knows that. Um, and uh, a lot of times they'll decide to settle cases, you know, okay. and, you know, we've, we've handled, we've handled a, a number of them uh, over the years in many different ways. And each one's unique, you know, and that's, that's why, that's why it's very important at the beginning uh, if someone thinks that there's an infringement, you know, come, I, I say, come, come talk to us. You know, it, it, there are options. And those options, those options you know, can range from sending a cease and desist letter to the other side, making a licensing offer, um, you know, all the way through, uh, all the way through, you know, considering, well, do you want to, you know, do you want to sell the portfolio? Do you want to bring suit? If you want to bring suit, how are you going to fund it? And, you know, one, one of the things that's really changed in the legal industry over the last, you know, 10, 15 years is the rise of, of litigation funding, right? So, oh, yeah. Uh, now you can yeah, get money yeah. to litigate. That's, thank yeah. you for bringing that up. I just heard about that a month or so ago. I was yeah. not aware of myself. And so, it, can you explain it can, litigation yeah. funding briefly for the listeners? This is important. Yeah, yeah. sure. So, so litiga litigation funders are third parties that will fund litigations, essentially, they they raise a fund, they have investors in it, and they fund meritorious litigations. And, um, you know, patent litigations, um, you know, can, can be expensive. I mean, millions of dollars through trial. Um, and what, uh, you know, as a result, entities that might have been priced out of litigation in the past um, for significant cases can, can go, to, go to a funder with their proposal, get money, that funder is then going to fund the lawsuit and they'll fund it. They'll fund it vigorously, and they'll take like ten percent of the of the award if there's a win. Or something yeah, there's like a exactly, and and the uh, the agreements are you know we see them structured in different ways, but uh, basically you know anything that's that's economically rational they, they'll they'll consider. They yes, they they take a percentage of the uh, of the award in order to recoup their investment, to make a profit, given the risk, and so on. So that's that's a new that's a new model of uh, alternate uh, funding arrangements. I think um, it's you know, that's super, something that we go over with clients. It's great because it really levels the playing field, so to speak, and helps these smaller underfunded companies who did you know serious inventing and put all their skin in the game. It levels the playing field. I really like it. Yeah, ab absolutely, absolutely, and you know, again. Um, you know, the sooner the sooner that we're aware of the infringement and can start considering the options, the more we can do for the client. Wonderful. Well, this has been a great start to an important topic. Our goal today is not to <laughs> solve every problem, but just to touch on these topics so people can learn a little bit about, you know, when to visit their patent lawyer and when to have these discussions. And like you guys said, probably one of the most important lessons is like, think about it very early when you're very first, when you're first filing the patents as part of understanding your strategy and your patent landscape and who you're up against. So thank you very much for that excellent advice. My pleasure. Thank you, Stacey. So long. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Fundable Founder. Please go to our website at mass-ventures.com for more information on Mass Ventures and where you can also find other episodes just like this.